So if you look at the top of the message tonight, you see a really weird message title. Actually, I am dead. That's our, that's our, that's our title. Now, when you hear the word dead and it's kind of used in a silly sort of way, I, I think, silly, lighthearted subject, death. I, I think of one quote, and it's from one of my favorite movies, and this will probably tell you far much more about me than you ever want to know, and it will probably help you keep distance from me, um, and that's Monty Python's Holy Grail. Do, do, you, do you want to guess what the quote is? Go ahead, someone just shout it out. What's the quote about death that I'm thinking about? Not dead yet. Exactly. That's, that's what I think of when I can't help but I think of death, I think of that quote. There's Bibles in the back, by the way. We're going to be in Scripture a little bit. If you didn't bring one, your textbook, and you want to grab one, go for it. Again, I encourage you to bring one with you because sometimes you want to mark it up. Sometimes you just want to make some notes and say, I want to go back and get more deeply into this or I want to see if that's accurate and go back and check. Well, one thing you might not know about me is that, uh, and I'm going to call our little pre-ramble tonight, uh, Reflections of a Former Mortuary Employee, because yes, Scott worked his way partially through college as an employee of a mortuary. So, um, um, <laughs> wow, a mor- mortuary fan out there. I don't know what to make of that. I'll just keep going. Um, I thought about all the stories because I, I, you know, now there's a couple popular shows on television about mortuaries and cemeteries and stuff, but didn't used to be that way. Um, I used to, I was a lit major college and I had all these great ideas and I would tell this particular mortuary that I worked for, the owner of it, all these great ideas I had for situation comedies set in mortuaries. Dude would not crack a smile at all. He did not think that was funny. I don't know why that is. Um, Now you got them all over the television. Well, as I was thinking about stories, because Paul's going to tell us a story about death. And I was thinking, so what, what kind of story is death? There's a whole bunch of them I wish I could tell you, and someday I can bore you to death with them. Um, but I thought, I thought of two. Um, and one of them, maybe it was on my mind because I'm headed to LAX to fly overseas this week, but one of them involves LAX. So basically my job in the mortuary wasn't as gruesome as horrible as it sounds. Basically my job in the mortuary was to answer the phones in the middle of the night in case someone called because someone close to them had died or it was a nursing home or something. But... Occasionally, I would be sent out to go pick up a customer, so to speak, um, when uh, uh, none of the regular staff were around. So I was asked to go to LAX to pick up a customer. This person had been shipped, they had, they had died outside of the area and they were, they were being buried here. So they were shipped cross country and they put you in this big box. Um, and the only way it can fit in the vehicle that the mortuary owned, you have to take the hearse. There were some other sort of more discreet vehicles that we owned, but it wouldn't fit this big box thing. So you got to take the hearse. So here I am. I'm, uh, this is quite a while ago. Um, I'm about 20 at the time. Now, tomorrow, I actually turn 49. Um, and, uh, okay, thank you for, on behalf of 49 year olds. Um, and people tell me I still look a little younger I'm, than I appear. Um, well, let me tell you, when I was 20, I appeared about 10. So imagine a 10 year old driving a hearse, okay? So you've got a 10 year old driving a hearse. And I'm, and I'm going up the 405 North, load in the back. You know how hearses are? They've got these nice little curtains right in the window. So you, can, you can't quite see in the window, but they give you like a tease. So, you know, you, you, you see the hearse and you, you kind of want to just do this, right? What, what, what's in the back there? What's going on back there? Because it's just got that little slice of life you can see through. So I'm driving on the freeway, this 10-year-old behind the wheel of the hearse, and this, this car is just tracking exactly the same speed. I'd speed up a little bit, because you get tired of people tracking you down in the hearse, because they all want to see what's going on. 
But this, so I'd, I'd slow down, they'd slow down. And so I, I look over and this, this, this woman, God love her, um, later in life, with her, I'm sure, husband behind the wheel, she's just going, just staring like that every time I look. Got her mouth open, and I'm thinking, oh, she's looking at me and saying, look at that poor, sweet, naive 10-year-old boy. Um, and he's got to do this horrible, grisly job working for a mortuary. That's what I think is going through her head. And, and as I say, they just have five minutes on the freeway. They're just staying parallel. They're catching me. So this is one of those cars that had a big bench seat in it. So I'm sitting exactly like this. I've got my arm over the bench seat because now she's just kind of on my nerves. And again, you can look a little bit through the window. Well, what you see through the window is there's a big old casket thing back there. So you know I'm hauling something, something not alive. And so I got my arm like this, and I make sure she's still looking, and they're tracking exactly with me. Smile one last time, slip my arm behind the seat real carefully, and go, like this. And uh, I, then, I, then, uh, I then turn quickly to see the reaction. It was like this before. Now it's <laughs> just like that. Her hands are pressed against the glass. Now she is too bad her window was up because I couldn't hear the scream. Fortunately, her husband didn't drive off the road. Um, and when she saw me smiling at her, oddly enough, she did not really smile back at me. <laughs> she found nothing humorous in the situation at all. Meanwhile, I, I've been telling that story for 20 years. <laughs> So no matter what she thought of it, I've been having a great time with it ever since. Let me give you another story from my mortuary days. As I said, I didn't used to uh, have much interaction other than answering the phones and occasionally picking somebody up. Well, one evening, uh, for some reason, the staff, there was no one available for a visitation. How many of you have ever been to a visitation at a mortuary? Yeah, a few of us have. Basically, I really tweaked my 99-cent glasses there when I did the whole shtick. Um, that's the moral lesson here is pay a dollar ten for your glasses. They'll be better made. Um, so I go to the visit. So, so they're coming to the visitation. No staff can be there. So I, I, I say, yeah, I can, I can do that, and, um, which basically means just turn out the lights when it's time to close the mortuary. So the folks came and, and, and spent some time with the deceased and, and left, and I locked the door. And I'm going around turning the lights out. And I get to the visitation room itself, which is just kind of like a living room with the casket in it and the deceased and some chairs for the family just to reminisce, pray, uh, comfort one another, celebrate a life, uh, whatever you want to do. And I walked up to the casket um, all alone, and it was a young woman probably in her mid-30s. And this woman looked like she was sound asleep. She was beautiful. Uh, She was young. Uh, Everything that I saw there said... Just, you know, nudge her. She'll wake up. She's just sleeping. That's, that's everything that I saw and everything I thought. I said, just nudge her. She'll wake up. She's just sleeping. And even though at that point I probably worked for the mortuary and been involved in quite a few things over the course of a year, I think that was the first time I ever really looked deeply into death and said, there's something missing here. That, that thing that, that, that animates us is no longer resident in this person. Now, I was a follower of Jesus, and I, I believe that we have a soul, and that soul is animated by things. But in this case, I just sat back and said, what is that thing? How is it this person that looks so healthy is absolutely dead? 
absolutely dead. Well, we're in the midst of a series in the book of Ephesians called The Unlikely Family. And I don't know about you, but having dead people in the family is pretty, makes it a pretty unlikely family. Because in a very real way, the family's filled full of dead people. And that's why I called this particular message, Actually, I Am Dead. When we left the story, as Albert wrapped up chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago, chapter 1 ended, because we don't want to start chapter 2 without a little reminder, chapter 1 ended with God's perspective. He, he, he's told, Paul has told us some things about God and about Christ. Christ who is the head of the church. Christ who has all authority. We've we've had this perspective that is very much both a global and a cosmic perspective. Chapter 2 begins with a human perspective. It takes us to a very, very different viewpoint. It's reminding us that life exists on two planes. One is physical and one is spiritual. The physical was this 35-year-old woman who I did not know, seemed all, seemed all together lying in a box. The spiritual was the fact that that which animated her, her soul, was no longer present in her body. That's the conversation that, that Paul begins in chapter 2. Let me read it for us. If you have it, you can open to it. <clears throat> 2, 1 to 10. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. This not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and not by works, so that no one could boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Could you put up the first slide for me? The beginning of the passage. This passage is really divided into three different parts. And part one, I'm going to call own it. Own it. Because that's what Paul is saying here. This is the deal. This is who you are. You are dead. The question is, are we going to own it? He describes, you know, everybody who dies gets a death certificate. And on the death certificate, there's a primary cause of death, and then there's subsequent contributing causes of death. Do you see the causes of death here that Paul identifies? He identifies three of them. He says, first of all, it's... The reality is, it's just the way of the world. The way that's filled with transgression and sin. The way which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. That's the first cause. 
The contributing causes of death is the fact is there's an evil one. There's a ruler of the kingdom of the air. Speaking of the enemy, the devil, the one who would claim our spirit. And thirdly, there is the sense of just the sinful, selfish nature that we all possess. Okay, a couple little words to pull out here. Transgression simply means you've gone too far. There's a boundary. I've gone too far. Sin, we miss the mark. There's a target out there and you ain't on it. He starts by saying, you've gone too far and you didn't hit the right mark. That is why we've died. That is what we have to own. That's the major cause. And then the bottom line, he does the math here and gets to the bottom line. Literally, the bottom line. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Friends, it's not very popular to talk about God's wrath in our society. But think about this. If he's a holy, perfect God, anything that's not holy and not perfect will be unacceptable in his sight. Therefore, everything outside of holiness will be an object, in this case, Paul describes it, of wrath. Something worthy of judgment. Those are hard words. Those are really hard words. And they aren't very friendly. And they aren't very inviting. But sometimes truth is hard. And sometimes in hard truth, it becomes an invitation. If, if, did anybody ever ask you to try and summarize this whole book we call the Bible? 66 different parts wrapped up into one book. Could you do it in one word? I got one word I'll throw out there. I, I would suggest, and I've been suggesting this for quite a while, I got one word for this book. Patricia, what's my one word for the book? Pop quiz. Patricia Fletcher. Glory. Glory. Good word. You just flunked the quiz. She's a teacher. She's used to it. <laughs> Rescue. Okay. <laughs> She's a teacher on her way to law school. Rescue. Think about it. God's on a rescue mission. If you had to tell all these words, what do they wrap themselves around? One idea. Rescue for His glory. Rescue. That's part one. Own it. You really are dead. You need to own it. Part two is embrace it. You can go to the second slide for me. That is, you've been rescued. You've been given life. Did you, did you get this in the middle of this? It's just filled full of life. On the authority of these words, and look at them, they're powerful, incomparable riches, grace, mercy, faith. These are not human things. These are God things. On the authority of this word, these words, the words given to us by Paul, written to a church in Turkey, what was modern day Turkey, a bunch of folks who are just learning how to follow God, a bunch of folks who live under a government that's oppressive, a bunch of folks in some way are are becoming, if they aren't already, an underground movement as much as an overground movement because of the pressure on them. While they try and figure out how to follow Jesus, Paul's writing to them and saying, you know what, you can do a lot of things, but ultimately, it's only by the grace of God that anything's going to happen. That's what those words are all about. And then the authority of those words, he's saying, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, he would say to us today, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, his grace is sufficient. God is our rescuer. 
He's waiting to grant us mercy. He's waiting to grant us forgiveness. Do you see it all there? How he moved from death, yeah, actually I am dead, and I need to own it, to life and the opportunity to embrace it and embrace it fully. He says, you can do nothing. That's the frustrating part. I want to do something. And he says, sorry, there's nothing you can do. Look at the bottom line in this one. Well, that's the bad news bottom line. Look at the good news bottom line, which is frustrating. I've been saved by grace through faith. That's nothing I've done. It's a gift of God. It's not by works. That means I can't earn it. I can't do enough good things. I can't keep enough rules. Man, I like to keep rules. Just tell me what to do. I'm sure I can figure it out. And God says you can't keep enough of them. That's why it's grace saved through faith. And God's mercy. So we can't boast in Him. We can only boast in the cross. So that's the whole deal. We are dead without Christ. That's what Paul says. But with Him, we are alive. From death to life. But then, the language he used here tells us it's a gift. It is the gift of God. Now, we just had a little birthday party this afternoon for me. It was all good. I got an iPod Touch. My boys apparently do love me. <laughs> it's good news. Um, that was free. Uh, but you know what? I could have chosen to give the gift back. I didn't have to take the gift. Now, get this. Paul is saying that God has offered this thing as a gift. He's the God of the universe, for goodness sakes. And apparently we can reject the gift. He's not making us accept the gift, but he's putting, us on, putting it on us. Do we want to respond and accept the gift? That's some crazy gift giving. You know, if my sons had really given me something stupid, which is what I expected, because um, they have a great sense of humor, um, and, it, you know, and it was a very bizarre box, and I thought they'd probably gone to the 99 cent store and bought out you know, the toy section for me, um, I could have given it back. That's the deal here. The gift of Christ is something that it's up to us to respond to. Do we accept it? Or do we give it back or choose not to accept it? It is not forced upon us. God raises the dead, but you have to choose to be among the risen. Tonight, we are, I am really excited, the team is really excited, that for the next section of our worship service, we're going to celebrate as a community the baptism of two of our warehouse members, moving in a very expression, in a public way, from death to life, symbolizing the work that God has done in them. You know, baptism is an ordinance. It's one of those things that Christ said you will do. There are a few commands of Christ, and actually only a few, and there's some of those that are sac- we call sacraments and some we call ordinances. It's a fine line. Baptism was one of those that Christ said, you will baptize those who choose to follow me. Matt Lucas from our, our staff team is going to lead us in this. Matt, where are you? <laughs> You're on, the big guy. Um, Matt's going to lead us and our participants through baptism. Um, which is really one of the holiest moments we can share as a community. And tonight as we talk about moving from life or death to life, 
Can you think of a better night to do a baptism? Matt, it's all yours, brother.